welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. So if you're one of those immediate New Mexico News Podcast listeners, and what I mean by that is you're listening to this episode as soon as it hits those podcast services, maybe around 6 a.m., immediate drop point mountain time every Tuesday. Well, if you are one of those listeners, this is as timely as it gets this week. We're talking laws, we're talking lawmakers, and we're talking to a KRQE legislative guru. Yes, a guru, someone who's been watching it all go down. All as we start the 48 hour clock on the end of this year's New Mexico legislative session. Lawmakers are in for a 30 day session this year. So half as much time as last year's session. And these 30-day sessions are meant to be budget-focused because there's not as much time to debate the complexities of larger bills. But so far, it's been very active with a lot of talk around some of the biggest issues here in New Mexico. Crime and public safety with a host of new proposed gun laws and other crime-related laws. Several big environmental regulations, also efforts to reshape some state agencies like CYFD and PED. All of that has been up for discussion alongside the usual talk over budget in another year of record revenues for New Mexico's thriving oil and gas industry. And we're joined today by one of our legislative gurus, as Chris mentioned. This is KRQE News 13's own digital investigative data reporter, Curtis Segarra. Curtis, thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate you taking me out of the legislative meetings for a few (laughs) minutes Although still in the legislative mindset, as always. Maybe we will regret removing you from the meetings because maybe there's something going on yeah, right now. They're talking about the single most important thing this very second. We're Uh-oh. missing it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. That's okay. We still have uh, Natalie up there, one of our TV reporters who's keeping an eye on all this as well. Also, yeah. how do you feel about the term guru? I don't know that it's warranted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you do know a lot, though, just to be clear. no jo- All jokes aside, uh, you're very well-versed on the legislature, and we appreciate your expertise. It is shows online every day. Well, it's obviously an important uh, thing here in New Mexico. We obviously have laws, and we have to pass new laws. So watching the lawmakers do their job, following along as they do it, is, is something that's important for news, but important for everyone in New Mexico because it impacts everyone. And Curtis, remind our listeners, you know, longtime New Mexico News podcast listeners recognize you, your voice from some of the other episodes that we've covered here, but you do data investigations online at krqe.com. During the first few months of the year, though, you also focus a lot of energy into legislative reporting, correct? Yeah, we try to keep our readers, especially online, up to date with what's going on. There's a ton of bills that they talk about, a ton of proposals, and they're always changing up there in Santa Fe. So we can't cover everything all at once. It would just be too much info. But I try to highlight some of the interesting proposals and the interesting debates that are happening up there that, like I said, will affect a lot of New Mexicans because it's ultimately their their laws that they're going to have to follow in the coming years. Absolutely. You post the roundhouse roundups, right? Did you coin that phrase years ago? I'm trying to remember. I didn't. I think it predates me. I think it was something our web team was doing before I showed up. Chris's. I, Chris I, did it? I seem to think, no, it was, oh. did not come from me. I believe it came from Curtis. You sending a daily email and you started coining them roundhouse roundups. And then that internal kind of email to all of us amongst the newsroom eventually turned into why don't we share this with the public? Like, let's yeah. just go and put that online. So 
think it was actually you. It was you, Curtis. <laughs> I'm still not going to take credit for the the term, the catchy name Roundhouse Roundup. But, okay, um, okay. but I did, you're right. I, I sent out, this kind of just developed out of helping our reporters stay up to date with what lawmakers are doing. And we realized that would be helpful to the public as well. So we started publishing these kind of daily little updates. And we should also note a shout out to Natalie Wattis. She has been our on the ground on air reporter in Santa Fe, interviewing lawmakers pretty much every day. You can check out all of her reporting work online, careqe.com slash legislature. She also has a profile page that has links to all of the stories that she has done as well. Curtis, we mentioned this is a shorter legislative session this year. It's 30 days. What is your impression so far of this session? It seems like there really has been a lot of legislative activity, despite how short it is. Yeah, I think my overall impression has just been it's only 30 days, but they're really trying to do a lot in those 30 days. Um, Maybe sometimes a little too much. A lot of the proposals just don't have time to get all the way through the process in 30 days. But the lawmakers are really trying to get a lot of changes through in those 30 days. So that's kind of the big overall takeaway for what's normally just set aside for the budget. And this is your third time covering a session. You remember all of the comparisons. Does this one feel any different than some of the other ones you've seen? Yeah, I mean, we see we see proposals all the time for a wide variety of laws. I think this year um, the focus on crime has been a lot more intense. Crime is always a big issue in New Mexico. We've seen crime bills pretty much every legislative session in memorable history. But just how much focus there is on that, like I said, especially when most of the focus is usually the budget in 30 days, they're talking so much about crime. Normally they'd reserve that for a 60 day session. So it's a really big focus there. That's what kind of makes this feel a little different this year. Mm. Also, Curtis, can you explain just fundamentally, how is a 30 day legislative session different from 60 days? The governor has a lot of control over what's up for discussion, right? Yeah, New Mexico currently alternates between 30 day sessions and then the next year will be 60 days. And then the next year will after that will be another 30 days. So it just alternates back and forth. Generally on 60 day sessions, the lawmakers can talk about really whatever they want. They propose all kinds of potential changes to the law, discuss those. They have 60 days to work through it. During a 30 day session, they're really limited by law about what they can talk about. So yes, they can talk about the budget. That's kind of the big focus. They're also allowed to talk about bills that the governor requests that they talk about. So you're right. The governor has a lot of say in at least getting the ball rolling on these discussions. And then, of course, the lawmakers debate those proposals and ultimately they might make it back to the governor for a signature. Yeah. So people can still pre-file whatever they want up to a certain point in the session or they can file bills, whatever they want. But really, the governor has the power, as we hear this term, to put things on the call. And what is on the call is what can go through the actual full-blown processes of the legislature is how I understand it. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, lawmakers are kind of constantly working on potential proposals, things that their constituents want to see talked about or become law. This session on a 30-day session, those really need the governor's approval. So we've seen the governor give approval to over 100 ideas now, pieces of legislation. Like I said, not all of those are necessarily going to make it through because they only have 30 days to talk about it. But there is some indication that the governor is, you know, behind a lot of these proposals. And we're going to talk about some of the key ones here, especially crime related ones. So we covered this in one of our newscasts this session. There have also been some anecdotal mentions of more bipartisanship this session. Have you found that to be the case so far, Curtis? 
Well, Natalie and I looked into this issue. We talked to lawmakers, we crunched some numbers, and the lawmakers told us that it really feels like there's more bipartisanship or that people are kind of working together across the aisle to get some of these topics through. I think a lot of that is everyone's frustrated about crime in particular. And so we're seeing, you know, the governor back some Republican-led anti-crime bills, for example. So there's this sense that, yeah, there's, there's some friendship or working together this year. But I crunched the numbers compared to the last few years, and actually the number of bills with both Republicans and Democratic lawmakers as sponsors is about the same percentage-wise as any other year. So I think it's more of a feeling than maybe something born out in the numbers, but I think one of the reasons it might feel more collaborative is also because it's an election year for some of the lawmakers. So they, they want to get their ideas through. They're willing to reach across the aisle to make that happen. So that might be part of it as well. You can also look online for that breakdown by the numbers of uh, how many bills are bipartisan bills. You uh, crunched that online um, and got some good graphics out of it too. So people can take a look at that. Yeah. Link to it. If you're interested in learning more pretty much about any of these topics that we talk about today, there's probably a web article online, krqe.com, about that topic. So feel free to explore there, get more into the weeds on some of these issues. Exactly. So let's get down to what's happened out there, say, on the floor, or maybe more properly in that actual roundhouse building this session. It all started with the State of the State, the governor's annual speech that happened on opening day, which was January 16th. This, by the numbers, is the sixth time the governor has done one of these addresses. Curtis, what did the governor emphasize in her speech this year? You know, she talked a lot, obviously, about where we are at as a state. But the big picture question she posed was, what's next? She talked about recent investments, you know, setting up funds for conservation. Some of that was done last year, bringing new companies to New Mexico for new job growth, expanding the film industry. We've seen a lot of news about that. But she also was kind of forward looking and asked lawmakers to really take advantage of the current record high levels of state revenue to push New Mexico further into the future. She has her own vision for how that could happen. You know, she has some ideas for putting a ton of money towards water treatment to kind of secure water for our future. She's got ideas for putting over $100 million towards new energy sources, hydrogen, geothermal energy. Um, She asked for infrastructure, housing investments. So really the big idea here that she was talking about was taking this massive amount of cash that we have and setting up infrastructure or projects for the coming decades, taking this moment and really looking for how do we set up for the future. Was there a particular moment for you that stood out from the speech, either, you know, something that you think registered with lawmakers or was a surprise from the state of the state? Yeah, I mean, so obviously she was talking about the future, but she also talked about kind of the elephant in the room, which is crime. And that's something that's obviously a big problem in a lot of Albuquerque communities, but we see it up in Santa Fe as well. We see it in rural communities. So I think everyone is kind of impacted in one way or another or has heard about this issue of crime. And so I think it really resonated with lawmakers. She had a proposal of a bunch of bills, uh, which of course have some legislators supporting them as well, to address crime issues. Yeah, big public safety agenda. Yeah. And this is something she was kind of building up to last year as well. Some of our More news-following listeners might remember her public health order to try to limit guns in parks, for example. She kind of built on that momentum by bringing a bunch of legislation forward, things that would 
add to gun control, but also increase criminal penalties, for example, some bipartisan ideas to address crime. We had, you know, ideas to create a waiting period before the purchase of guns to try to limit, you know, impulse purchases that could end up with uh, a suicide, for example, or something tragic. You know, so a lot of these ideas that she was throwing around were really resonating with lawmakers on both sides, I think. And that that really stood out to me. So what was missing from this state of the state address? Did anything stand out to you there? No mentions of certain particular items that maybe people were hoping for? Yeah, I think one. Hint, hint. <laughs> we're all looking at our bank accounts right now wondering when is when when did that last stimulus check go in and have I spent it all yet? Yeah, I think it was maybe a little bit surprising that there wasn't any mention of efforts to get another round of rebate checks or stimulus checks. Obviously, there were several rounds of those over the last few years to help New Mexicans with rising cost of living. She didn't mention that in her speech. And in fact, since then, lawmakers really haven't talked very much about that issue. It's perhaps because inflation has decreased in the region recently, kind of since 2021. So maybe it's just not as big a concern as it was when those first rebate checks come out. But I think a lot of people would still, of course, appreciate that financial help. And and some people, like uh, some groups, like the Greater Albuquerque Chamber of Commerce, I know, kind of had that as one of their legislative hopefuls. So it's something that was on people's minds, but apparently not too much on the lawmakers' minds. And just to be clear, this is usually brought up and comes to fruition when the state is flush with cash from oil and gas revenues, which we are again, correct? Yeah, yeah, we have more money than ever before. So we have seen some lawmakers this year ask, well, why aren't we giving back to New Mexicans? There was uh, one proposal about a week ago to change kind of the income tax brackets that would have, you know, theoretically meant New Mexicans pay less in tax as a way to give back to New Mexicans. But, you know, they, we haven't really heard much about rebates. So Curtis, you talked about public safety a little bit. That certainly came out in the governor's address. She's made it no secret, placing a big focus on that topic. But I want to be clear here. There is some big nuance, I feel like, with that term public safety. Sometimes there's this idea that we're talking about cops and crime. You know, what can we do to fund police officers? What can we do to toughen penalties here or there? But I think if we're drilling down into this broader term of public safety a little bit here, we are really talking about two different things when we look at the governor's public safety agenda. And it was really front loaded with a lot of gun related legislation that the governor has put on the table this year. Much of it was around changes towards, I think you could probably say things like gun ownership or the terms of how even one person gets to be the owner of a gun. So Curtis, let's talk about the myriad of gun legislation here. We've got a lot of different bills, right? Firearms Industry Accountability Act, an assault weapons ban, raising a minimum age of purchases. There's at least seven other seven total bills here to include extending a waiting period for the purchase of firearms, guns, banning them in polling places, banning them in parks and playgrounds toughening the extreme risk protection order law that is on the books. Yeah, so that's seven gun bills right off the top. And she made it clear in her public health order that she wanted to declare gun violence as a, quote, public health emergency. But Curtis, have any of these bills been here before? What's your takeaway for why she's so set on gun legislation, particularly this year? Yeah, these are certainly some proposals we've seen before in in various forms. 
I have to speculate a little bit here since I can't quite read her mind, but I have to guess there might be a few reasons why she's doing it, especially at this moment. I mean, first, I think she probably does genuinely care about, you know, the rules around guns. This is something that didn't pop up out of nowhere on her agenda. Back in 2019, she signed into law some expanded background checks for firearms. Even before that, when she was in Congress, she co-sponsored efforts to get an assault weapons ban. So, you know, some of these ideas have been something on her mind for quite a while, I think. I think she also wants to get this legislation through perhaps as part of her legacy. I mean, if I were in her shoes, knowing that I have what we'd call a Democratic triplex or, you know, a Democratic governor, a Democratic legislature, a Democratic secretary of state and a Democratic attorney general, everyone's kind of in her party, in her same boat. So she might want to take advantage of that to try to get some impactful, potentially controversial legislation through. It seems like she kind of has the political moment to do that. And third, you know, even though she can't run for re-election as governor in 2026 because of the way term limits work here in New Mexico, she could run theoretically the term after that, or she could try to continue her political career elsewhere. So I think, you know, getting some kind of big ticket gun bills would probably help bolster her kind of presence in the Democratic Party, especially for those that lean towards gun safety and gun legislation. So for several reasons, I think these are on her agenda. And it seems like maybe she has the political moment now to really try to do this. What have we heard in committees so far about these bills? Can you give us an idea of if there is any bipartisanship on gun legislation? Because I know that can, as you mentioned, be kind of divisive. I don't know if I'd quite say there's bipartisanship support on gun legislation. There's definitely bipartisan support for addressing crime. You know, gun control is a divisive issue. We saw this last year with Benny's bill, which is a bill to kind of try to get at safer gun storage and prevent guns from falling in the hands of of kids. You know, there is strong support, especially in the Democratic side for these kinds of gun control bills. But there's also some strong pushback. So we're seeing that same thing happen this year. I think the difference is that the governor has pushed so many anti-crime bills, including gun bills, and crossed the aisle with both Democratic back bills as well as Republican back bills, that it, it kind of feels like there's more momentum behind these. There's there's not maybe not bipartisan support for individual bills all the time, but certainly some of these proposals have backing from both sides. So we talked about nuancing that term public safety. I think the second half of the public safety agenda that the governor had is crime focused. And and here are just some of the priorities she outlined, right? Raising penalties for second degree murder from 15 years to an 18 year maximum. There's also still a minimum on that statute. Just to be clear, we're talking about a maximum penalty there for increasing second degree murder penalties. We've also got increasing penalties for felons in possession of a firearm, upping that to a second degree felony, creating a rebuttable presumption statute. So those facing charges for certain crimes, we're talking usually violent or kind of the high profile crimes that make a lot of the news stories. Those facing charges in those types of crimes would have to argue essentially why they should be let out of jail because the presumption would be they've been accused of such a dangerous crime. They automatically should be held in jail. They also have a bill on the table here under the governor's priorities of making hazing a crime. So, Curtis, have any of these bills stood out to you about where they're going or maybe what has happened so far? 
Yeah, I mean, they're all interesting for their own reason, but the rebuttable presumption bill that you talked about is a really interesting one, not just because it's a topic that we've seen politicians and folks involved in criminal justice here talk about and debate very passionately over the last few years, but also because we saw this year in the legislative session, we saw lawmakers saying that they want to retain their own decision-making authority kind of apart from the governor. So even though they're the same party, right, even though the majority of the legislature is Democratic, we heard Democratic lawmakers stand up on the floor and say, hey, we need to make sure that we have our own say as lawmakers separate from the executive branch. And so an example of that is the rebuttable presumption bill, which Democratic lawmakers voted against, you know, in committee, and they tabled this bill. The governor reacted to that and thought, you know, it was unreasonable, really. But the lawmakers said, hey, this is our call. You, you don't get to tell us what to do. They kind of did that through their actions and kind of stood up for themselves as lawmakers. So I think it was interesting partially for the politics of it, but also because it's a, a topic that's come up in relation to public safety over the last few years. And as we're talking about this agenda right now, we should note, you know, there is still time in the session. A lot of these decisions about whether or not something passes or dies really have yet to be made. Have any of the other big or much watched bills, though, died this session of the ones that we've talked about here so far? Can you be specific? Yeah. Uh, so some of the gun bills got through quite a bit of debate. And for context, for these bills, for these ideas to become law, generally they have to go through a couple committees on, say, the Senate or House side, then a debate on the floor, and then at least a debate on the floor of the other side. So that's like four and it could be more rounds of debate. Any of those points, it could get stalled out, shut down. And so we saw a couple of bills, for example, the governor's bill to increase the penalty for attempted murder. It just didn't receive the full rounds of debate. It kind of stalled out pretty quickly just because there's so many other things on the table, perhaps, or maybe they purposefully you know, wanted to wait on this one. Another example is that bill to create a crime of hazing. I mean, actually, there were two proposals. One was the governor's backed. Another one was some other lawmakers had a very similar proposal. You know, that one just didn't get through those committee debates. It didn't make it very far this session. Hmm. And we should also note, again, still a couple of days. You never know when things can just sort of sail right through with immediacy. Exactly. Especially when when it comes down to the wire and there's not much time left. Who knows? What are the chances that lawmakers just fight it out through the end of the session and none of these crime or gun bills get passed? I think it's certainly possible. I mean, uh, look, there's very little time left at this point, and these are complex issues. I mean, you often see debate on a single one of these bills, especially the gun bills, going for three hours on the House floor or the Senate floor, where they're some lawmakers are trying to poke holes in the bill. Other lawmakers are trying to fill those holes and defend it. And it's very likely that, you know, not all of these go through just because they're complex issues. They, they deserve a lot of consideration. So it's maybe not necessarily a bad thing that they receive this much debate. The crime bills and the gun bills that we've talked about, you know, we, we've listed 11 different bills. When you're talking about debates that could last three, four hours on some of them, you know, that's a huge chunk of a workday, essentially, along with the other committee processes that have to happen. There's still all the ceremonial stuff that goes on. Then there's the matter of the budget that often gets decided in the last few minutes. So just to give our viewers an idea, yeah, you hear this myriad of ideas, 
you know, it's rare, honestly, frankly, that all of them get through at, at any point, even Long though nights. there's all those discussions, press conferences leading up to us, the news stories that we do, placing so much emphasis on line item point by point by point. I think, you know, on that note, it, it's worth remembering, though, that a lot of these ideas, just because they don't get past this session, it doesn't mean it's over for that idea. In fact, a lot of bills that are passed in any given session were proposed several years ago and were debated, changed, debated, fixed, and then eventually make their way through after several years of lawmaking. So it's possible that, you know, even those that stall out this year, they might be back on the table next year or the next two years or the next three years and eventually get through. So crime and public safety aside, the governor also has some priorities. Environmental legislation is certainly one of them that's come up in a few different big ideas. What's happened in this realm in general? Can you talk about some of those big ideas? Yeah, well, for some context here, last year, for example, the state set up a big fund for conservation, right? We had a lot of money. They were thinking about putting funding towards conservation. This year, we're seeing some specific project ideas from the governor. One of those was unveiled ahead of the legislative session, which is basically a $500 million investment of state funds to try to get some new water treatment technology here in New Mexico. The governor wants to treat brackish or produced water, which is water used in the oil and gas industry that you can't drink because it's been used. It's got other, you know, chemicals, salts, right. So she proposed this funding as an incentive to try to get some companies to come in, clean this water and make it usable, maybe not drinkable, but usable for something else as a solution to our impending, perhaps if you're bleak, doom of, you know, how much water we have in the in the future. We know we live in a desert. Water is really important. Another example is the clean fuel standards. This is something that's been on the table or in discussions for a couple of years now, basically kind of setting standards, carbon standards for transportation in New Mexico by targeting fuels. Some lawmakers say this would maybe increase the price of oil and gas in New Mexico. I think no one really wants to pay more at the pump. Other lawmakers say this would actually increase jobs here in New Mexico by creating a kind of clean energy industry and, of course, push us towards environmental goals. If you remember the bigger context is the governor set goals back in 2019 when she with an executive order where she wanted to decrease statewide emissions. So this would be part of that. Some big ideas here in environmental topics, but just like with public safety and gun legislation, These get a lot of debate. They're slow to get into law generally, so they could take some time. I want to also discuss a couple of items that could shift some departments in the state and how they're run. Specifically, I'm talking about the Children, Youth, and Families Department, that's CYFD, and the Public Education Department, that's PED. So let's start with the PED. SJR 9 looks to change the nature of the PED and create a state school board taking some control out of the governor's hands, correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And and just for our listeners out there, SJR means Senate Joint Resolution. And a resolution is different from a bill in that if this idea went through, it would have to go to the voters. So actually, you guys, you listeners would end up voting on this proposal to decide if we should amend the state's constitution and kind of change how this works. But this PED proposal came up last year as well. Another big topic. And I think just like with safety, everyone is on the same page that we all want better education for New Mexico. The debate then is how exactly to do that. Uh, You know, this year we did see lawmakers come together 
and make some changes, you know, across the aisle, make some changes to high school graduation requirements. And that's something that was passed in previous years. The governor vetoed because they actually reduced the amount of credits you'd need to graduate. This year, the idea is back with, it would keep the amount of credits that high school students need to graduate the same. So the idea is back on the table, kind of addressing the governor's concerns. The lawmakers came together to pass this, but I don't think they're quite as far as wanting to entirely restructure the public education department. There's also potential changes to CYFD, as Gabby mentioned there. Democrat Senator Jerry Ortiz Pino, he is looking at a possible shift in how that department essentially appoints a leader and who they would be accountable to, right? Yeah, this is another one of those topics that's uh, well discussed, but with no agreed upon solution. You know, in debates this year, we heard how lawmakers were upset with how COIFD is run. And a lot of our listeners will probably have seen tragic news stories about foster kids not getting the care that they need. But, you know, we also have heard testimony of how previous changes to leadership or kind of the structure of the agency haven't always produced the results that people had hoped. I mean, we've had several leaders of this agency now and they've got a relatively new one in place currently. So the question that lawmakers are kind of debating is whether or not the department just needs more time and funding to kind of fix known issues, right, under the current leadership, or if they need a drastic change and just restructure the entire program and agency, which could be a solution or it could be potentially something that causes more chaos, right, if you just completely upend the current system. So Again, something that's big issue with no clear, easy solution. If there were an easy solution, I think they would have done it by now. A lot of complex issues in this session. A few other matters have also come up to include the unique situation of an effort to impeach the governor. Curtis, what's happening there? Well, you've probably heard about impeachment efforts at the federal or national level. You know, similar discussions are happening locally, too. This year, I think it's partially in reaction to the governor's gun control efforts before the session, but we saw a couple of Republican lawmakers here in New Mexico call for the impeachment of Governor Lujan Grisham. To do that, they would have to introduce a resolution to impeach the governor, and basically they would have a trial on the House floor where the governor gets to make her case of why she didn't, you know, violate her oath of office, violate the state's constitution, and then senators would get to vote. And if two thirds of the state's senators voted to impeach the governor, she'd be removed from office. So I guess it begs the question, does this even have a chance of going anywhere? You mentioned the uh, Democratic triplex, I think you called it. Just the fact that pretty much every office in this state has a Democratic leader, every state office or branch of government, if you will, has Democratic control. Basically, I think this doesn't really have a chance of going anywhere this session or anytime soon. The two Republicans that I mentioned did introduce the paperwork to kind of get the ball rolling on that, but it basically didn't receive any real consideration by the other lawmakers. It just kind of stopped right after they filed the paperwork. But, you know, those lawmakers got to kind of take a stand and and say their piece about what the complaints they have about the governor. So I think for them, it was also just a way to kind of get some of that frustration off their chests and say, hey, look, constituents, we're doing something about this. This is something we care about. So even though it didn't go through, it definitely made a statement. This session ultimately, though, Curtis, is budget focused. We know the capital outlay is expected to be a big decision point wrapping up the session this week. 
Where are we at now with the budget? I think we're definitely looking at the biggest budget we've ever had here in New Mexico. I mean, the, the state government has had more income than ever before. And a lot of that is from the oil and gas industry, but also things like increased gross receipts tax, basically the tax that businesses pay in place of sales tax. You don't really have sales tax in New Mexico, but so it, tax increases. The government is basically flush with cash right now. And the thing is, lawmakers have been kind of cautious about this. They, they know that oil and gas may not last forever. There's a lot of debate on how long the state will be able to keep producing this kind of income from oil and gas. So they're making sure to put some money away for the future as well. They've talked about putting 30% or so into reserves, basically long-term funds to then kind of invest for now and pay out later, perhaps when the oil and gas industry takes a dip. And we also mentioned capital outlay here. It's kind of a, a big year with the, when you consider, right, how much money is out there for not only the budget, but also capital outlay. Where are we at with that? And remind us again, what is capital outlay? Capital outlay is money that the state puts towards capital projects, which are things like infrastructure, buildings, roads, bridges, and also maybe equipment, for example, new police vehicles, new fire trucks. It can't be used for paying employees, for example. So that's how it's kind of different from other state funds. But every year, the lawmakers take a list of projects that are important to their community, maybe new parks or money for museums or, like I said, road repairs. And they roll this all into one big bill, the capital outlay bill, and then try to get some funding for that. These are long-term projects that usually take years to complete and, you know, usually through various stages of construction. The difference is that this year we have so much money potentially to use that they could perhaps fund a lot of those projects outright. They could pay for the entire project in one chunk and get them done perhaps faster, perhaps without having to, you know, take out bonds or finance them another way. So we kind of have the opportunity to get some of these big infrastructure projects through easier than we normally do. The issue with capital outlay is that a lot of times the lawmakers will put some funding towards a project, but then a year or two down the road, construction costs rise. And then all of a sudden they don't have enough money to complete this project. So they have money that's been legally tied to this project, but not enough to finish it. So the money just kind of sits there. There's currently over a billion dollars of state funds tied to projects that are kind of awaiting completion. We have an opportunity this year to do something a little different and make sure these projects get completed. So I think they're keeping an eye on that as well. Yeah, certainly. I know you published a story even more recently about a bridge in Los Lunas that is a prime example of yeah. capital outlay money's been appropriated. Not enough to finish it though. Costs keep going up. Yeah, these are these are long-term projects. Wherever you're listening right now from, you can probably think about a project like this in your community, something you've heard maybe your city council or your neighborhood association talk about something they want to see, something there's been a study for or a design you've seen presented at a community meeting. These are the projects we're talking about. They're really important for the communities that New Mexicans live in and they're kind of long-term investments for quality of life decades down the road. Curtis, is there anything else we're missing that you want people to know about? I think we talked about a, a lot of stuff the lawmakers are doing. I think the only piece of this whole politics thing that we didn't talk about is, you know, what you guys, you listeners are doing. Because remember, these these politicians are working for you. So you're always able to reach out to your politicians, keep an eye on what they're doing, 
talk to them. I think it's easy, especially in New Mexico, to become detached from the reality that lawmakers are supposed to be working for the people of New Mexico. But remember that you guys, you listeners are involved in this process as well. So just staying informed, staying on top of this, I think is always an important way to participate in politics. Do you think lawmakers are living their lives a quarter hour at a time right now? Like Vin? <laughs> like Vin Diesel? I live my Probably. life a quarter mile at a time. Probably. Oh or maybe one one bill at a time or one line in one bill, bill at, at a time. time. There is you that, go. Is that possible? Okay. Yeah. The reason why I ask, there's a lot of work to be done. We've got about 48 hours from when this episode publishes to about the end of the session. So it should really be something to keep an eye on particularly with everything we've talked about here, uh, there's a chance that pretty much any of this stuff could come and go in the last couple days. Yeah, the lawmakers are really having to make some choices right now about what they're going to focus their time on, what they're going to try to get through before this is all over and they meet again next year. But a lot of them know that they'll be back next year with a lot of these same proposals, a kind of second chance to bring up ideas that matter to their community. A quarter bill at a time. A quarter bill at a time. <laughs> That's right. Curtis Segarra, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Curtis Segarra. He's our digital investigative data reporter, does a lot of work on krqe.com. Go ahead and check it out. And we'll also post some links to some of the stories that we mentioned in this episode. Yeah, krqe.com slash legislature is a really nice place to start. Again, we'll link to that as well as uh, Natalie's author page. Natalie Wattis does a lot of the legislative reporting. She's been doing stuff every single day since the session started. And again, there's going to be some big moves in these last 48 hours. So keep your eyes and ears peeled to what is happening. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com, also at chrismckeetv. If you got a question, comment, or an idea. And I'm at gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.